Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Ma. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Uphoff. Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast. I'm Kathy Ma. Today, I'm excited to welcome Rosemary Coates, who is the Executive Director of the Reshoring Institute and the President of Blue Silk Consulting. She's also the author of a number of books, including Legal Blacksmith, How to Avoid and Defend Supply Chain Disputes, which is the first book of its kind to explain how to optimize supply chain relationships and handle legal disputes in the event those relationships fail. Rosemary is also often asked to serve as an expert witness in these legal proceedings. In today's episode, she will share with us how to avoid these disputes, what the expert witness process looked like, and what she learned from her courtroom experiences. Rosemary, thanks for joining us today. Um, we spoke before, and, and you have a fascinating background. So can you tell me a little bit more about your, your story and how you became a supply chain expert? Sure. Um, well, I was an uh, undergrad. I studied at Arizona State University Logistics and Transportation Management. And actually, while I was a senior at ASU, I worked for a customs broker and freight forwarder. And so I, I started to learn the world from there. I had no idea when I started uh, working there where anything was in the world. I didn't have a good sense of how the world worked at all, but uh, it was a it was a wonderful experience, and I learned the import process as well as the export process, and that got me really interested in in global manufacturing. Um, and then uh, later, I went to work in San Diego for Solar Turbines, which is a big gas turbine manufacturer, and there again, it was a very international business and uh, was quite interesting. And I then went to graduate school at the University of San Diego. And all along the way, I, I was very interested in, in, in traveling. I used to beg my, bro my boss to go travel somewhere. And it became the big joke around the office that I was always willing to go somewhere. Um, and, then, uh, and then clearly internationally, I was very interested in that. So um, it's been, you know, my entire career has been in the manufacturing side, even in consulting. I've been uh, consulting with manufacturing companies. Uh, and uh, the international aspect grew and grew and grew, and I finally spent uh, the better part of 15 years helping companies source and manufacture in China. Um, and that was uh, fascinating. As you can imagine, I spent lots and lots of time crawling around factories in China and um, trying to understand how things worked and, and how to do business in China. So I became a, a Chinese manufacturing expert as a result of that. Uh, and then um, we started the Reshoring Institute. Now we help companies rethink their global manufacturing strategy and understand what they should keep overseas in terms of manufacturing, as well as what they potentially could bring back to America. That really sets a great scene to what I'm about to ask you, because you co-authored a, a pretty cool book called Legal Blacksmith, How to Avoid and Defend Supply Chain Disputes. Um, your co-author was Sarah Rathke in 2015. Sounds like this is especially relevant and poignant today, right? Because we are inundated by global supply chain disruptions. There must be a lot, a lot of dispute. Um, what's the most common dispute you see in the industri industrial space today? 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, so actually I've, I've written five books on global supply chain management, but that one, that one I had worked with Sarah on a, a case involving a manufacturer in the aerospace industry. And we worked together for over a year on that case. And at, at one night at dinner while we were at trial, uh, she asked me if I'd write this book with her. And, and I was a little hesitant because um, as you probably know, lawyers write in completely different fashion than business writers. And um, but we we worked uh, on the book for about eighteen months together, and it turned out great. So the first part of uh, each chapter is um, focused on the process. So I wrote the those those sections, uh, for example, on purchasing or forecasting or production planning, warehousing, logistics. And she wrote the back half of every chapter about the um, the legal aspects of that function. So what you should and shouldn't put in your contract. So it's kind of a handy desk reference for people, buyers in particular, but for people across the supply chain um, that may be involved with other supply chain partners or involved in contracting or whatever, it's a handy desk reference to keep you out of trouble. And that was the idea. Uh, so you don't end up in court. Um, so that's been quite a popular book. I um, among uh, attorneys who you know take on cases and are trying to learn what supply chain is, as well as supply chain people who are trying to understand the legal aspects of their contracts. Um, so yeah, so that's where you know where we we headed with that, and there's all sorts of di disputes that are written up as what we call uh, failure alerts in the book. Uh, where a uh, contract has gone bad or, you know, some relationship has gone bad in supply chain. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's kind of funny, too. I, I was telling somebody the other day, um, I spent 35 years trying to explain what supply chain was to my friends and relatives. And people would ask, you know, what do you do? And I'd say, oh, supply chain management. And they're like, what? You know. <laughs> But today, of course, it's headline news in the Wall Street Journal every day. You know, uh, everybody talks about supply chains and um, and how uh, it's affected our lives in the past couple of years, in particular. And and Rosemary, you're spot on in terms of the fact that manufacturing and our supply chain they are the invisible fabric that powers our society. And yet, there there is such a tremendous amount of uh, art and science to enable the whole system to operate in a way that's smooth and, and stay invisible. So circling back to your book, you mentioned a few things here, such as, you know, the initial initial in, uh, negotiation, setting up terms, uh, production, procurement, invoicing. In terms of the whole, you know, buyer's cycle of working with an international vendors, do you see that there are specific areas that are more likely to get disputed in, in today's environment than not? Yeah, so I think um, from my perspective, what I see most often, and, and I've worked on, I don't know, 50 cases or so, and some of them are enormous global cases and some of them are smaller disputes. And by and large, um, and I only do commercial work, I don't do criminal work. Um, so if, you know, if you've got people that are illegal doing things illegally i don't get involved in the in those kind of cases so it's really commercial and by that i mean contracting mostly between uh, parties in in supply chain and what i see most often are disputes in uh, in what the agreement was so 
Uh, you may have assigned a, an agreement and you think you've detailed um, the operations or the requirements on both sides. Uh, and then there's a misunderstanding. So one side thinks you should be doing one thing and the other side says, no, that's not the way it is. And so it ends up as a dispute. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I think um, uh, awful lot of these kind of cases, and, and let me tell you in the audience that it's very expensive when you get involved in litigation. Um, not only do you have to pay the lawyers, but you've got court fees, and then you've got expert fees, and, you know, it it's not cheap. It's often millions of dollars, even if it may be a fairly small dispute. Um, but, you know, what normally happens is it's a miscommunication between the parties where they just think that they have agreed on something and it's really not the case. Um, the other thing that I see very often is poor project management. And, you know, we I was trained as a project manager years ago also. Um, so I worked for SAP for a while and um, and I was trained in project management and all the official ways of managing and documenting your project, which are all fine. And there's a, you know, there are handbooks and all kinds of things. Um, and they tell you how to document and, and, and so forth. But really, project management is more than that. It's about solving disputes. You know, it's, it's very often that I see um, I see uh, parties who one is a project manager and they document everything. They have a weekly call and they say, well, you know, we had weekly calls and we knew there was an issue. And But what they're really doing is just simply writing it down in some report somewhere. They're not actually solving the issue. And, you know, project management often uh, requires a lot of these sort of soft skills to work at solving the issue instead of letting it fester and escalate and ultimately end up in court. So it's, um, you know, the, it's really the two things. It's misunderstanding of the terms and it was not detailed enough and it's not clear enough. And then secondly, is this idea where you have escalating issues instead of trying to solve them and be very focused on getting to a solution before it goes to court. Right. And you mentioned these two really kind of biggest pain points, like miscommunication, as well as the difference between bureaucratic project management versus really trying to develop the soft skills and in, in, in motivating the the other party to really deliver what you want them to do. In your experience, like what are what are the possible things an industrial business leader can think about to empower their employees to really overcoming these sort of issues? Maybe you can give us two to three things to think about as well. Sure, sure, absolutely. So I think, you know, managers in particular. So if you're managing a staff of buyers or um, or project managers or, you know, some some other group, you need to really probe and understand that you have to ask a lot of questions and, and make sure that all parties understand what you're talking about. Um, you know, it's not good enough just to take the weekly report and have a glance at it and so forth. I mean, you really need to probe and understand what those issues are and how they're being worked on by the project manager. Are they really working to solve the problem or are they working to document it for next week's project management review? Um, and that's the difference. Um, when I see uh, in managers that are engaged, 
uh, who are trying and not and, and and trying to solve the problem and not be you know to be a mediator and not be a uh, you know trying to oppose the uh, the other side. That's where you see real progress being made and usually more satisfa satisfaction on the sides of both uh, supply chain partners. And circling back also to the fact that you are, you're an author of five books, Rosemary, we heard that you also serve as an expert witness for legal disputes uh, in the manufacturing sector. That is extraordinarily interesting. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how you first became involved as an expert witness on these industrial cases? Yeah, sure. So it was kind of by accident. Um, expert witnesses are, are generally people that have had a long career um, and are particularly focused in one area. For example, with my experience in China, um, I started out being pretty much strictly a China manufacturing expert witness. So in disputes involving sub China suppliers, um, I did a lot of that work, a lot of import expert work. I'm a, a licensed customs broker. So um, I get involved in a lot of the trade issues as well and, and so forth. Um, so how did I get involved? I had a colleague who was doing computer expert witness, so forensics in, in computer systems. And we were on the phone one day, and he was telling me about this. I'm like, how did you ever get involved in that? He said, I don't know. Some attorney just called me, and I started, and then he referred me to somebody else and, you know, and so forth. Um, so I, you know, typical me, I get on the Internet, and I start researching expert witnesses. Um, and there are some some ways you can advertise um, yourself and your services. There are some catalogs and so forth. Um, but generally, it takes somebody who's got deep expertise in one area, and that's what makes you an expert and somebody who is capable of commenting and participating in a legal battle um, where you can say, mm, that's not the way it's done, or that's not how they should have done that, or you know, that's typical of how, you know, suppliers in China react or, you know, these are these are deep, deep uh, experiential perspectives. Um, so uh, so, you know, I got involved about 15 years ago and I've, I've done you know, a number of cases, um, a lot of global cases in all over the world. Borneo. <laughs> that was a fun one. Um, but a lot of, um, you know, China and throughout Asia and, you know, big global disputes like that. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And and I'm telling you, if um, your buyers and the audience is involved in supply chain contracting, hush, beware, because if you get involved in a big dispute, it's like, like I said, it's very expensive and requires experts these days. You can't really pursue a a legal case unless you have experts that come in and give an opinion about how you manage the situation. And you touch on a really important lesson here, Rosemary. So for buyers, they have to be aware that when you're setting the contracts and the terms, you really need to understand and make sure your other parties are aware of what the terms are saying, right? Like what I'm learning from you today, Rosemary, which is extremely important is sometimes we have a habit of uh, just sending over a Word document and have one another, you know, just review, track everything. And when everything is accepted, you assume that the understanding is there. But often you're telling us 
Well, maybe people read the same sentence and they derive a completely different conclusion. So, in terms of your experience being an expert witness, working across so many years and 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 with different uh, companies, do you do you have any lessons or stories that are interesting that you can share with us? Sure, um, I'll give you a couple. I, I've done quite a bit of counterfeiting work, also global counterfeit. So, imports into the U.S. that are counterfeit goods. Um, that violate trademarks, for example. Um, so, you know, I see a lot of that. And buyers, you know, here's the the issue is that industrial buyers are very often um, bonused or reviewed based on how much money they spend and how much they save for the company. So I know buyers are always looking for savings opportunities and being able to report that is, you know, is important because it's part of the key measures. Um, at the end of the year, that's how they're measured, right? How much money did they save? Unfortunately, that's, that uh, oftentimes leads to buying counterfeit goods that you don't even know are counterfeit, uh, but simply because they're a little cheaper, uh, looks like a good deal and you buy them. So there's this whole world of global counterfeiting that's growing just tremendously. Uh, and causing um, problems out, out there, um, especially if you're in a critical industry or buying critical parts for, say, defense electronics or something like that. You know, every time I get on an airplane and I buckle my seatbelt, I think, oh, man, I hope there's no counterfeits in the engine or in the avionics, they don't have counterfeit electronics. I mean, it it's, can be quite scary and it's very common these days. So watching out for counterfeits, I think, is very important. And the way you do that is through um, validating business licenses and uh, making sure that if you're getting a good deal, it's truly a good deal and not based on counterfeit or gray market goods. Um, you know, supporting incoming inspection, reporting when you have a counterfeit problem. Um, you know, a lot of uh, now there are buying platforms on Amazon and some other places for industrial buyers that um, they try to control counterfeits as well. But, you know, sometimes um, they still don't even know when there are <clears throat> counterfeit goods out there in the marketplace because the counterfeiters have gotten so good. So I think, you know, being very aware, attuned to that, paying attention to it, make sure you don't get caught in the web of counterfeits. Um, that you're buying is one way. Um, another another thing to to look out for um, from a buyer perspective, I think, is um, uh, validating and confirming what you're buying. So I'll give you another example. Um, I've been involved in a number of cases that involve consultants. Uh, so you, companies buy a consulting services to implement an ERP system, for example. So you're going to hire a consulting firm to do that. Um, and, you know, you have to remember that consulting firms are made up of a lot of individual consultants. Some may be great and some may be not so great. <laughs> or uh, there are 1099 people that have joined a consulting firm just for this project. And you 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 need to make sure that you vet their background. So I would highly recommend that anybody buying consulting services vets every single member of the team. Um, I'll give you another an example. So um, I was contacted by a Malaysian firm who um, was implementing SAP, and um, they hired a, a firm in in Asia that 
this is a, this particular company was an agricultural company. They made palm oil uh, in 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 uh, Malaysia and Indonesia. They grew palms and processed palm oil, which is a big food additive. And uh, the company they hired uh, swore that they were agricultural experts, and you know they had they put on this big production and come to find out once they engaged the team that they had mostly 1099 uh, contractors that joined the team that were not part of the company, but were independent consultants that had very little, if any, agricultural background. So they architected this system throughout for these uh, plantations throughout uh, Malaysia and Indonesia that um, managed the information through uplinks, satellite uplinks, and there was so much latency and delay and it just didn't work. And so they got into a dispute over this and the, the palm oil company said, you didn't give us the exp experts that you promised. Uh, and they said, oh yeah, we gave you the experts you didn't you didn't pay attention, you know, and back and forth. So it was a multi-million dollar dispute between the companies. The lesson to be learned though, is when buyers are buying consulting services, you better make darn sure that every person on that team is well vetted and is experienced and, you know, is the right, the right case. Um, so counter, yeah, counterfeit consulting, yeah. Uh, those are the big ones that I see. Sometimes there are um, another big area that I see is um, contracts that are ended before um, before the time period. So for some reason, you don't need the parts anymore or, um, you know, you've decided to go a different route or something. So you end the contract. And there is almost always a dispute um, on who owns the inventory and process. Uh, what about excess and obsolete inventory if you're dealing with a contract manufacturer? Um, what about, you know, we started we started this equipment for you and now you stop the project, so you have to pay for our, the work in process. And there's lots of disputes in that regard, too. So I would say be very, very careful when you're ending a contract as well. Thank you, Rosemary. Three really important things. Look out for counterfeit. Uh, possibility to your own research. Make sure you validate your your prospect uh, thoroughly. And number two, when you hire consultants, you ought to do background check, knowing that you're getting the expertise you're after even before you sign a contract. Um, and finally, when you want to end a contract early, really think through the implications. I think the third part is really important, not just for you know functioning as a business, but just you know integrity. You, someone might have expanded their production line and, and capability for your contract. And if you cut your contract short, you may implicate their PNL quite substantially. So that's really good advice. Now, Rosemary, I want to ask a question about you. I talk to a lot of guests on our podcast, and I, I have to say you are quite special. You are extremely productive. As we learned today, you wrote five books. Um, you run an institution that, that really is all about educating people about reshoring or optimizing the manufacturing supply chain. And you also have your own consultancy, so advocacy, education, business consulting, expert witness, book writing. I mean, the question really is how do you do it all? What are the three habits you rely on to set yourself up for success every day?
Yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I mean, there are plenty of times when I'm overwhelmed. I, you know, I just have so much to do. I just, you know, it's crazy. It makes me crazy. Um, but, you know, what I've found, I think, are is really helpful is to prioritize. So, you know, sometimes when I open my email in the morning, I have 50 messages and trying to understand what's urgent and what isn't, um, I think is important. And then uh, setting expectations also. So some of my clients, you know, are very demanding and they're like, tell me right now, you know, <laughs> I sent you an email five minutes ago. Why haven't you answered? Um, and setting those kind of expectations so they know, um, you know, that I will get back to them within four hours or, you know, by the end of the day or something like that. Um, I think that's quite helpful, too. And that relieves some of the stress on me. Um, you know, just learning to manage your time and to say no sometimes to just say, I can't get to that until, you know, the 10th of November or something, you know, that um, uh, that. It helps with that communication and instead of just saying yes to everyone and then disappointing everyone. And so time management is really, really critical. Accepting work that I know I can do, um, you know, that's important in the expert witness world where as an expert, you, you don't, you absolutely don't accept work that you are not fully competent in doing. Um, so, you know, lots of times in uh, in supply chain management, there are tangential areas. So, you know, there might be a, um, a warehouse dispute, but it involves a truck driver who, you know, didn't load stuff right. And that that's not my expertise. I can tell you about managing a warehouse, but not how the truck driver should have loaded his truck. So, um, so you know, paying attention to that and saying no to areas where I don't have in-depth expertise, I think is a way of, of managing also. And then, you know, just being a little crazy helps, you know, sometimes, sometimes I work straight through the weekend and I don't sleep very much. And, you know, I mean, sometimes that's just what you have to do. Well, they do say, if you love what you do every day, then you never work again because your job is actually your passion. Um, so three things, yes, uh, set boundaries, say no, be self-aware enough to know where your skill limitations are, but also feel free to be a little crazy sometimes. So really, really good advice, Rosemary. Thank you for coming to our podcast today. We learned so much from you and uh, we're grateful that you didn't say no to us. Okay, it was delightful. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Update podcast. To learn more about Rosemary, her book, Legal Blacksmith, and her work at the Reshoring Institute, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast.